0: Testing, testing, one, two, three. Hello, world. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Saturdays for the Girls, a podcast run by three Gen Z women dissecting how the content we consumed growing up informs our perceptions of the world around us. Are we qualified to dissect anything? Absolutely not. Will we continue to? Of course. Today's episode revolves around the movie Failure to Launch, starring Matthew McConaughey, playing Trip, a 35-year-old stay-at-home son, and Sarah Jessica Parker as Paula, a professional fake girlfriend. As the character description would suggest, Paula is hired by Tripp's parents to lure Tripp with her feminine wiles in order to launch him out of living with his parents. A train wreck of events ensues, and at the end, the two main characters profess their love for real and live happily ever after. That being said, let's get into it. So in the beginning, we are set up with trip on a date with another one of his many girlfriends and she gives him quote-unquote the look and they have this where do you see us going dtr combo to which he takes her home to get it on and then she finally leaves once she realizes that he lives with his parents so speaking of the look and the where do you see us going combo have we given anyone the look in an attempt to dtr and if so what did that look like for us I have been in, I
1: think, three DTRs in my life, and the first two were in high school, and they were both like initiated over text, but then the third one that I had was in a summer during college, and I definitely wouldn't say it was initiated with a look. I would say that we were already having a conversation that was purposely on my end, trending that way. And then I was told by someone very early on that, like, guys prefer having conversations sitting side-by-side versus, like, talking to each other and maintaining eye contact. So I was sitting side-by-side with him. So I also did not give him the look then. Interesting. (laughs) Definitely probably a wives' tale. Where did you hear the side-by-side thing? Oh, from him. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So I figured... In that scenario, he would probably prefer to talk side
0: by side. Yeah, yeah. I will say I do feel, like, very comfortable talking side by side with someone because that way you're not forced to have eye contact and you can feel a little bit more vulnerable. I feel like I'm a bit more on the defensive when I have to, like, I guess I was going to say perform, but it's not really, like, performing, but more so, like, keeping the mask on, right? Because sometimes when I get emotional, like, I – like I tend to cry easily now, which wasn't a thing when I was younger, but now I feel like I cry super easily. So if I'm sitting side by side, it's like harder to cry, which is probably a good thing. So you don't want to cry super early on in the combo, I guess. Yeah, I think there's
1: a level of like when you're having a awkward or personal or difficult or vulnerable that's the word I was looking for. Conversation. You kind of feel like you want to shrink away from being seen, like you feel like someone physically looking at you is now synonymous with them actually seeing what you're saying underneath all of that. Mm -hmm. So I understand liking to sit side by side for hard conversations, which is a tactic I now do. I actually think that's a wonderful tactic, and I have
2: done that without even realizing it in all of my (laughs) TTR. (laughs) Do you have any the look stories? Yeah. Um, I know when I'm giving a guy the look. It's it's part of my – it's not part of my anything, but
0: you ever just know that when you make a certain facial expression, you know exactly what it looks like? I think it depends on the facial expression. Sometimes, like, if I'm sitting and just doing my thing and someone does something stupid – and my face gives it away, and I'm like, "Whoa, watch it." I don't realize sometimes that my face is like hella judging someone, even if it's just inside. But I will say, in like a flirtatious romantic situation, I think I'm a bit more aware. But I think it's because we actively kind of think about that sometimes, like in conversations like this with our friends outside of the romantic situation. We tend to be more cognizant of like, "Oh, this is the face I make," or "This is something I do with my hair." But we don't actively talk about like. What do you look like when you're, like, judging someone, like, inevitably, you know? Is the look, like, an actual thing that happens on your face, or is it, like,
1: that plus a silence? I think it's the tension. Okay. It's... Okay, I'm getting a better picture of that.
2: For me, the look kind of embodies an environment bubble that's made between the two people that are having... Mm. (laughs) This sounds so weird. Um, but for me, I think it's mainly my eye contact. And it's just two people, eyes locked, kind of looking intensely at each other. And then you can feel some kind of weird sexual tension in the air. It doesn't even you need know, to be sexual tension, but there's tension there. Let's just say if two if, if bystanders were walking past two people in the look, then they would know that something's up.
0: How have they responded to the look? Like, basically, the movie shows us that Trip immediately, as soon as the look happens, it's like, oh, it's time, she likes me, it's getting serious, gotta go, right? So, essentially, it's supposed to be like a tip-off to the guy that you're ready to take the next step. So, has that happened for you? Like, has the receiving end, I don't know, like, proposed another date or, like, made a move or whatever?
2: Yeah, so I can bring up two scenarios. One was we were in the car and then the look happened, and then both of us just looked and then looked away and then he brought me into my apartment and then he ghosted me for a month after. Oh no. Okay so that was scenario one and the second one was we had the look and then he goes into, so isn't it crazy that Valentine's Day is this week? And I assumed that the look worked. Yeah. Um, I assumed that he knew that it worked and that he was, I wanted to give him courage to ask me out so I thought oh maybe it worked. And then He didn't ask, and then he did not hit me up after that week. So, those are the two
0: main scenarios that I could think of in regards to the look. Sounds like the look essentially, like, sealed the deal in a negative way. Yeah. yeah. It gives you away. But does it give the girl Mm -hmm. away, or does it give the guy away? I think it gives the
1: girl.
0: Whoever initiates it, right? That's true. Right? Because then whoever is at the receiving end if they don't reciprocate it's just an awkward moment right so people usually reciprocate and then if they actually are interested in you they'll like about it afterwards right but if they're not they're not gonna make it awkward in the moment they're just gonna like ghost you or like get you to break up with them or something like that yeah right because i'm trying to imagine like a girl giving the look and the guy just not having it like i feel like that's a harder rejection almost? Or would you prefer the rejection in the moment?
2: I feel like there really isn't any way to reject someone when you're giving the look because the scene is set already romantically,
0: you know? But the guy could reject you or the girl, whoever whoever is receiving the look could technically totally reject the look and just like reject you on the spot instead of going to the trouble of getting you to break up with them, ghost you, fizzle out, whatever. feel like a lot of people
2: live by the philosophy and I wish I lived by this philosophy more is that if he or she has not verbally expressed to you that they're into you even if it's body language which which can be so misleading even if it's that if they have not verbally expressed to you then you cannot say something's there yet or can't reject them yet so I've Gone with that philosophy when rejecting people, but it never has worked for me when it comes to confessing feelings. Someone, the first one, but that's because the girl hasn't said, I like you, you know, you can't really say, I can't reject her yet because she hasn't verbally expressed it,
0: right? Like, there's nothing to reject yet, yeah, yeah. So, Chrissy has done the look, Aileen, you see yourself giving the look as part of a DTR in the future or do you see yourself utilizing your side by side tactic forever? (laughs) I will utilize my side by side tactic
1: forever. Also like if I ever initiate a DTR, I just know this to be true about my personality, like I am going to approach it in the most cowardly way possible. Like, I'm going to frame it as if we're, like, two bros having a conversation. And I'm going to say all this stuff about, like, other people have made comments about us. (laughs) Instead of being upfront about it, which is something, literally what I did in the past. And it's worth that mind for me. It's because I'm coming from the perspective of, like, wanting to save face and being really unwilling to put myself in any alternate position.
0: All right. So Trish's parents are essentially fed up with their 35-year-old son still living with them, and end up hiring Paula to start her failure to launch program and get him out of the house. So she discusses her failure to launch program as a way to help men develop self-esteem because according to her, they develop self-esteem best over a relationship. And she employs a formula which includes having her and the client have a memorable meeting, having him help her through an emotional crisis, getting the approval of her friends, letting him teach her something, and finally showing an interest in her passions. So I wanted to ask you, do you agree with this formula? And have you seen it play out for either for you or for your other friends in relationships?
1: I think that this type of formula caters to um, people who get into relationships kind of fast. So with people in our context of college, like people they meet that same semester, stuff like that. Not even in the same semester, like, we'll ask them out a week later after meeting them. So because I surround myself with people who are looking to get married, this formula tends to not be as used because they just end up dating their best male friends. So I don't have too much experiential information or experiences with this formula. Do you agree with it? Like, do you think it would work? I think it would work for building intrigue and then building a relationship period, but I don't know if it's necessarily a formula I would use for a romantic relationship. I feel like these are all very similar tactics that like fraternities use to integrate people into their systems or like any organization that wants to create bonds will do. <laughs>
2: Like, the hazing portion is the yeah. emotional. It's like, trauma. experiencing
1: a trauma together, having a memorable first meeting, waiting for them to bid on you. How about you, Christy?
2: The way she phrases a memorable first meeting to me implies that you guys are instantly attracted. It's it's like love at first sight, attraction at first sight. And so because that was the baseline of the formula, I was like, oh, this wouldn't really work for me. Wait, Why? It's because it hasn't happened yet, or yet, probably won't happen ever. Actually, I don't know. I take that back. I, I guess going off of what Aileen said, it's for people who move rather quickly. Like you hit it off first moment because you're attracted to each other, and then you go on dates, and then you experience the emotional trauma, and then you meet his friends, etc. Hasn't really happened to me personally, so I can't really, you know, see if it would play out. Um, There was one moment where I had a attraction-attraction meeting with one dude at a cafe. And then he asked me out, but we didn't go out because I was scared of stranger danger. (laughs) I guess that kind of predicts where I would be in the scenario, I guess. I probably wouldn't go out with someone I'm just attracted to physically. Who knows? That could change. I guess it's because I'm kind of cautious and stranger danger. You really don't
0: know today you really don't know like you chilling in a corner in a cafe and then you hit it off with someone such a fantasy and he's actually ted bundy i know that's that's terrifying okay so it's your fantasy but you don't see it realistically happening
2: yeah realistically i like the best friend slow burn right
0: I personally have not employed this formula, but I do think it's like a valid formula. Like Aileen said like you're right. This is what frats do essentially. Memorable meeting, like initiation, emotional crisis, like the trauma bonding, um <laughs> from other brothers for a bunch of shit. Um you learn a, you learn a fuck ton, you teach a fuck ton. And you have to feign interest in your brother's interests. Yeah, they literally follow this formula to a T, add some like professional-ish in there. But that's basically what pledging is to an extreme degree. Never made that um, analogy, but that's awesome. I do think I can see this working, right? Because if you think about, I guess, I mean, all of us are single right now. But if you think about your, like a very, very close friend or someone that you're very, very comfortable with, right? Minus the memorable meeting, I think everything else can apply, right? Like you might not need a memorable meeting, right? You might just have met them in class or on a team or something, but you 100% have supported them or they've supported you something emotional, right? Others, why would you like consider them a close friend? You do care about their opinion of you and you do care. It like... We might say that we don't care about certain people's opinions of us. But like, for example, if my roommate's friends hated me, like I, I genuinely would be like upset about that. Right. Like I'd try to fix that. Um, you want the nod. Yeah, you want the nod from the supporting characters in the other person's life, for sure. We do take an interest in things that we're not actually interested in for the sake of other people. It might be for a cosmopolitan reason, right? Just to learn more about life. It might be just to create an excuse to spend more time with them. It might be just out of love. It might be to create an excuse to talk to them about something, but we do end up doing that a lot, right? With a lot of people. So I do think this formula actually has some merit to it. Do I think it's ethical to employ this when you're like dating someone? I think strategy and love and relationships can be useful but I'm like cautious on the idea of actually using a formula because then I feel like the other person might just feel like a game or like a goal you know what I mean like just like someone that you checked off some boxes with but then this is also coming from the perspective of someone who actively like quote-unquote adopts people (laughs) I don't necessarily have a formula for how I I do end up adopting people a lot right? And I guess in a way that is kind of strategic. I'm like, oh, I like that one. I'm going to do this, this, this to adopt them. So I don't know. Actually, that's true. Like, when I just think about if I set my eyes on someone, like, these are the things I will do to try to insert myself into their life. Right? You'll find ways to spend time with them. You'll find things to talk to them about. You'll want their approval of other people in their lives. And you'll probably do something emotional with them, or at least support them through something emotional. Um, Has it ever happened to you guys
2: where there's someone you're interested in and because you're so far away from their world like you guys don't have that many links to each other's world it's hard for you to find a way into theirs aka like Mm. similar friend group um, even similar interests like they're just so different. Because I found myself in a lot of those scenarios. And at that point, it was just so hard for me to kind of insert myself into their life. Maybe I just haven't developed that skill. But it was just so hard because there really is, there really wasn't a link. I guess part of having the links is why things work out, I guess. So maybe I was just trying to force it to happen too because I had feelings. But I don't know.
0: I think in that scenario, you could use the last part of the formula, the interest because at the end of the day, you, you will find something like even if it's something as universal as like film or television, like if you can find out what their favorite show is and watch it, that's something to connect with. Right. I think if there's no like no overlap in spheres at all, then the interesting would probably be your best bet just for the future.
1: I think there's also validity in, like, uh, when we're students, we tend to meet a lot of people, but then because of that, forget a lot of things very quickly because, I don't know, each day in the week looks different for us, but then when you're an adult and lonely and looking to get married and go to work from nine to five every day and then come home and just watch Netflix, I feel like you remember, like, that's why the memorable meeting portion is important because it just makes you stick out and then they think about you later so that all that stuff, they become responsive to your text messages and you can find something you both are interested in.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I always thought they, that the intentional meetings in adulthood would be more straightforward than in college because I just feel like adults don't want to waste time. and If they see there's potential, they would make it happen. Yeah, Maybe that's just my assumption and me looking forward to actually dating in adulthood and what if it doesn't work out and I get disappointed, but you know what? It's fine. That's just what I assume about dating <laughs> post-grad. It's just a matter of it being hard to find someone that you actually hit it off with. That's the hard part.
0: I was looking at the list of the formula again and one thing that stood out to me is the let him teach you something part. So while I am Mm. open to learning, I also don't know how I feel about, I'm sure the, so the entire, the entire point of this formula, right, is for the guy to develop self-esteem, right? And so you're, you're basically saying that this guy will develop self-esteem because he gets to like teach a damsel in distress, essentially, right, a skill, like he gets to feel that ego that he's teaching you something. How do we feel about that? Because I want to say like, oh, I do want to learn something. But I'm also kind of like, I don't want to learn just because it makes you feel good that you're like better at this than me or something like that.
1: I mean, like her whole formula is just a man trap, right? Yeah. And I feel like boosting someone's ego is the best way to trap them.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do
1: think it's like very true that guys love feeling useful.
0: mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. they like being useful they like the uh, they like feeling like they provide for you and like take care of you and guide you which is problematic itself
1: <laughs> i've never met someone who like didn't like solving a damsel in distress problem like didn't like saving a damsel in distress
0: mm-hmm. no matter how woke and progressive and feminist right? they are it's just programmed in them
1: yeah even guys who are like very effeminate I feel like they still like saving damsels in distress.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I hate it because I think I've unknowingly employed the strategy in my own life way too many times. (laughs) An embarrassing amount of time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I agree. Um, But when it comes to an equal grounded relationship, yeah, I'd like to learn your hobbies if it's something I'm interested in. And you can also learn mine. I remember I made a, a list of qualities I wanted in my future boyfriend, and one of them was that he would come to Zumba classes with me, even if he hated dance, because that's a sign that he, you know, still wants to spend time with me, even though he looks really dumb. So I was like, yeah, I'd look dumb for my boyfriend, too, if I really liked him.
0: Yeah, I think, again, it's just the idea that they wanted to spend time with you so much, Right, that they're okay, putting themselves in an uncomfortable situation or unfamiliar situation, if it means that they're doing it with you. It also makes them look really good because they know that they look super able and,
2: and skillful when they know something, know how to do something and they're teaching you how to do it.
0: It's just a big ego feeder. It
2: can be as simple as teaching someone how to cook, I
0: guess, or I don't know. Yeah, so speaking of the ego feeder, A lot of times in a lot of film and TV shows, I've noticed that there's a joke made that, oh, like, a man loves it when you beat him at something he's good at, right? Or when you know more than he does. I feel like that shows up a lot. And so there's a part in the movie where they have a date on his own boat, and then she essentially saves his ass, and it pretends to be, like, someone who is in the market for a boat. It's hot to be cosmopolitan, right, and to save the day with knowledge, but if we want to feed a man's ego, right? Like, how does that fit in? Like, is it attractive to be more knowledgeable than them? Is it attractive to be better better than him at what he likes? Or should we let him teach us about that?
1: I think it depends on how you deliver, like, your bossness and how much it feels like a threat to what he's already good at. So I can see like this working differently for different types of males. But for instance, like I really like knowing random facts about things like marriage, about the funeral industry, about like <laughs> football and payment, like, stuff like that. You know well, what I mean? I <laughs> There's this show called Adam Ruins Everything. I think he used to be on like True TV or something. And then um, my ex showed the show to me and his like pitch to me was you'll probably really like Adam ruins everything because he reminds me a lot of you because you ruin everything. And that's how he like phrased it. And like from then on, that's when I stopped dropping all like tidbits and facts because I was like, okay, this is the verbal confirmation I needed that he thinks this is annoying. And on some level, it's probably like emasculating to his like sense of how smart he is. That's fucked but Yeah, up. I can see this working, like, differently for different people. Because, you know, like, some guys think that's fun. And then some guys think it's fun. I actually personally believe that if
2: guys feel like their masculinity is being questioned, if the girl is knowledgeable about something that they're also, that they also think they're good at, just shows that they're insecure as hell, man. <laughs> like... a reflection of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's definitely a reflection of them because when I look at part at potential partners, I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this person? You know, like I want this person to challenge me, to grow me, to, okay. I was going to say question me, but question what I know and help and growth, challenge and growth. I would like that to a healthy extent. Um, And I would also want him to feel the same way about me. I think it's really hot when people know little tidbits. I think it shows that they're very well-rounded. They know a lot of different things and they're not boring. First of all, they're not boring. Um,
0: You take an active interest in a world of bubble. That's super hot to me.
2: It's so hot, right? It's so like whenever people are intelligent, I'm like, I'm really attracted to you to your brain and also your face, but your brain is hot, man.
0: No, I think an insecure guy would be annoyed slash threatened, uh, a cosmopolitan woman. And I think a confident guy who's also cosmopolitan would find it hot, right? Because then you guys could fill in the gaps for each other. Um, also a confident guy would be like, yeah, that's my girl. An insecure one would be like, why is she upstaging me, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. So I guess there could be some areas I'm cautious about, though, with this. Like, for example, if he was in the same area of profession, for example, tech. Let's say we're both software engineers. I feel like if we are in the same type of work at the same company, then I would feel kind of iffy about it. Because then it's just like fear of crossing into mansplaining, which I don't know if that would happen, But I just feel like there would be a lot of tension just on my part or working together professionally with my partner. But I guess that's just professional. Everything else, I'm like, yeah, I want to learn. I hope you want to learn
1: too. Come to my Zumba class, babe. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like it's helpful to think of it in terms of if you replaced this scenario with like him as your best friend, would you feel threatened if your best friend expressed he was better or she was better at this than you were? And my answer for largely any of that is no so then if i adhere to the philosophy that my boyfriend should be my like elevated best friend then i would also consider it a red flag if he felt genuinely threatened by like me being better at him any of these things
0: speaking of your partner being your elevated best friend um, at the end of the movie uh, they show a scene of matthew mcconaughey falling off the boat and a dolphin swims to him, and he's able to play with the dolphin, as opposed to the many incidents throughout the movie where he's bitten by animals. And his friends say, "Oh, it's because you're not in balance with nature." And now that he has found his significant other um, and finally has embraced love and a best friend as a partner, he's quote unquote in balance with nature. How do you feel about the concept that once you're with your elevated best friend, that you are in balance with nature? I thought that was dumb as hell, man. <laughs>
2: I was like, this is such a cheesy-ass movie. Um, Nature is never in balance because of climate change, bitch, okay? Second of all, life is never in balance just because you have an SO walk into your life to complete you. Um, I think this movie really plays into the whole you need love to complete you topic that society always pressures us with through rom-coms. And other mediums, the rom-coms, in this case. I thought that was so dumb. I was like, who wrote this plot line? So then I was like, plot twist. The dolphin drags him down, and then in the water while he's struggling, he has an epiphany. I'm with the wrong girl because I'm out of balance with nature. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah, TLDR, I think it's dumb. You don't need anyone to be balanced. If anything, I feel like you should be balanced and secure where you are before you even start dating it's really dangerous to want to date just because you need security or balance
0: in your life they kind of like imply this throughout the whole movie because it's essentially like so we don't realize the tragedy that happened with trip right until pretty late into the movie we just see him and think of him as like a bum right a 35 year old bum at his parents place but then we finally know that he's quote unquote like that because of the death of his ex-fiance. So they're basically driving home the point the entire movie that ever since his fiance died, he hasn't been in balance and he's just been like that for the last six years. I understand needing a period of grievance, like obviously, but in a way I kind of don't enjoy how he found balance through a person rather than finding himself, right? Cause he was like a great uncle or whatever, um, figure he was to his nephew right um like he totally could have found that balance by himself but the movie essentially says that like he would have been stalled forever had paula not come along right which is my problem with it i don't like how this movie through this topic specifically
2: he's out of balance that's why he's acting like this no matter how much trauma you've had in life i don't think that ever gives you an excuse to be an asshole to woman in this case, like in the beginning, I was like, his behavior isn't excusable. If you're not in balance, then why would you go out and meet a ton of women to fill that emptiness you have? Like, when are you going to continue doing that before you finally settle down? Like, why are you continuing to use people to fill up that hole in your life? You should do some introspection or something. And then they introduce his first love's passing as kind of like a, oh, that's why he's like that. But then you're like... Now we're all now we're all validating his behavior as okay because his first love died, and I was like, why are we just letting um, this trauma excuse be a reason for his asshole-like behavior that we saw in the beginning? And secondly, if a woman was trip, would we act differently? We'd probably call her crazy, lashing out, a ho. a Yeah, oh, she's just in her hoe phase, but for the guy, it's okay. So that, that theme, I was kind of like, oh, this is not really sitting with me. Yeah, there, it's like, there always has to be an excuse for F-boy behavior when there is never a good excuse for F-boy behavior because you shouldn't, you shouldn't be acting like that in the first place. So, Hmm.
0: yeah, if you need to grieve, like, take your time agree, but I do think a lot of times men especially will act you know in ways that aren't really justified but then use trauma or situations to justify it. and a lot of times we let that behavior go like a lot of times we'll let I've noticed a lot of times if a guy cheats on a girl, his past will be brought up as like oh, that's why he cheated on her, which is stupid. there's never a reason to cheat on someone but then that that like the benefit of the doubt isn't given to women. Like the minute a woman cheats on a guy, I mean, I'm not condoning it, but I'm just pointing out the double standard. It's like, oh, she belongs to the streets, right? Like her trauma is like always overlooked. It's weird. Like you'd never want to use trauma as an excuse for behavior. But then at the same time, if you're going to right, for one party, I feel like both parties should kind of experience that benefit of the doubt, but they don't.
2: Yeah. I think it also paints the uh, men have commitment issues theme. And it's justifiable because he had trauma. Which I think it's, you know, yeah, to an extent, it's justifiable if you had that trauma, you don't want to be seeing anyone. But then, yeah, then don't see anyone.
0: Don't hurt anyone in the process. Don't
2: bring, yeah, until you know that you are finally healed. But then again, this is also a movie. I'm sure
1: this has played out in real life scenarios. So I also thought the nature angle was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) I mean, if it was meant to portray, like, a honeymoon state of being, then okay, yeah. I guess, like, in your perception, you are at one with nature and the world when you're in your honeymoon phase. But, like you said, Delash I didn't like how it was tied to some kind of statement about his transformation related to getting over his dead fiancé. But, yeah, it is a 2000s rom-com And that ended up being his excusing character nuance-defining trait, so what have you.
0: So, among us three, I think it's safe to say Failure to Launch received some mixed reviews, but overall, it brought to light what we view as acceptable markers of independence in a significant other, norms around deception as merely playing the game, and standards of femininity we grew up with. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Saturdays for the Girls, and make sure to catch next week's episode, where we'll be discussing the rom-com to end all rom-coms when Harry meets Sally. See you next time, folks.